0: Welcome to the High Impact Man Podcast. High impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope to help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs.
1: Oh, Welcome to another episode of the High Impact Man Podcast. Where we're bringing men on to tell their stories to hopefully motivate, inspire, encourage uh, other men to be the... Virtuous leaders that they are called to be, and that is our mission here uh, at the High Impact Man podcast, and our guest today is a guy named John Lambert. His F3 name is Slaughter. A lot of you guys, hopefully all of you guys in F3 Nation know who he is, because he is the Nantan of the nation. For those who are not familiar with F3, Nantan is an Apache word, which basically means leader or spiritual leader, leader. that kind of thing, because we got a lot of cool names for things at F3. F3 is a, a worldwide now movement for men. It stands for Fitness Fellowship, Fellowship and Faith. It's a free outdoor workout uh, for men. Uh, and uh, we try to develop leadership skills in guys uh, in a nutshell. Uh, that's what it is. Um, for all you guys out there in F3, we're going to get into a lot of stuff that I think you're going to be interested in, but we want to get to know uh, Slaughter and what uh, what he's done through his life uh, to become the leader that he is. Um, so before, before we do that, I'll introduce myself. I'm Nevin Gorky. I'm uh, known as D fib in the gloom with my F3 brothers. I'm joined by Troy Klinger, otherwise known as dial up. We just found that there's a whole lot of dial ups in F3 nation. But anyway, this is the the original one from Susquehanna Valley. The original
0: one from Susquehanna Valley. That's me. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't do it without him. So, Dial, are you looking forward to this one? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, this is this is going to be a good one. Uh, Slaughter's probably a guy that strikes fear in a lot of people that show <laughs> up at a grow ruck. I'm sure we'll talk about that. And, yeah, uh, yeah. can't wait to hear his story.
1: Yeah, we're going to let him tell it, so uh, we'll get right to it. And uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you, Slaughter, the, the usual question that we all start off with. You probably answered this a bunch of times already on other podcasts, but tell us how you got involved with uh, F3 and uh, how you got your name.
2: Well, thanks, guys, for having me on. I am honored. And d it was wonderful to meet you in person up at the uh, Keystone Convergence here a couple weeks ago. Uh, so that was kind of timely. I was, you know, well, I'm, a, I'm a face-to-face guy, so it was good to shake your hand and and uh, get to know you a little bit. Um, yeah, let's see, Slaughter. Uh, I, I just celebrated my 10-year F3 anniversary. My first post was on June 6th. 2012, my uh, neighbor and friend—we met, our daughters played softball together. Invited me, and uh, he had me meet me in front of my house at 5 a.m. on my bicycle, and we rode <laughs> to our first workout, um, which uh, I didn't realize at the time. But uh, that was that was a good way to do it. A uh, little little street cred rolling up, that's for sure. Yeah. And my my last name is Lambert, like you said, and from Silence of the Lambs, slaughter the lambs it actually is not sergeant slaughter although um i like to claim that
1: wow i totally would have predicted sergeant slaughter
0: (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah Yeah.
1: i'm not even i watched sinus Lambs once a long time ago and i don't watch those scary movies twice so i don't i don't i did not get that reference at all Yeah,
0: yeah i wondered whether maybe like before i had your bio i like i wondered maybe like did he did he have like some meat processing plan or was he a butcher or something <laughs> like that? But yeah, silence of the Lambs. Yeah. I thought when I
1: saw your, when I, when I first heard of you and I saw your name, I thought Sergeant Slaughter, surely this guy's like ex military. He he was a Sergeant or something like that. No, he's just named after a scary movie. <laughs>
2: yeah. That's, it. That, that's the, that's the second lie that uh, I've laid claim to in my life. When I was about eight years old, I grew up in Youngstown, which is, one of my worst-kept secrets, and uh, I was a Steelers fan. Uh-huh. So I told mm-hmm. everybody that Jack Lambert was my uncle. <laughs> and then uh, one day my mom came to school for, I don't know, whatever, to volunteer, and all the kids were asking about, you know, my uncle, Jack, and she said, what? No, we're not related to any <laughs> football players. So gig was up. I am not related to Jack Lambert, the football player, nor am I named after Sergeant Slaughter, the wrestler. Sorry.
1: Well, yeah, that's okay, though, but, you know, you pulled it off for a little while, so, yeah, you, you know, that was – yeah, probably pretty cool for a little while. Yeah, what was what was That's rough right. about
0: growing up in Youngstown? I, I, I visited there for the first time this winter. I went to an indoor track meet out there with my son uh, and daughter, actually, too. So I, I thought it was kind of a nice little town, but maybe a nice town to visit, but not to grow up in.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it, apparently it was quite something back in the steel mill days, but they closed those down in the late 70s, and it's just never kind of recovered, I don't think. Yeah.
1: The only thing I know about Youngstown was Youngstown University, and that is where Ron Jaworski went to school. Because I was an Eagles fan, am an Eagles fan. So,
0: well, some other that's my little historical football coach from that other school in the Big Ten that uh, Penn State always finds a way to lose to. Oh, uh, he went to school out there, right? Trestle. Yep, that's yeah. right.
1: Yeah, whatever. They anyway. cheat. Yeah,
2: cheaters. <laughs> we don't like Ohio.
1: <laughs> we haven't.
2: No, we, I like the, I like North Carolina much better. Yeah, how old were you when you moved to Carolina? Oh, I was young. We were four. I was four, yeah. Yeah. So I, gr- I grew up in the South. I claim the South. Yeah, but I think you I could. I still have family in Youngstown, and I, I go back there every once in a while.
1: Yeah, I think you could. That's, that's definitely a real deal. I only stopped in Charlotte very briefly once. Um, I hadn't moved my son from – he went to Liberty University, was going there. We were living in Florida at the time. I, I flew up and then drove him down back to, for Christmas break. And uh, it was interesting because I met my daughter and a friend of hers because she was going to school there, but she wasn't coming home. And she had left her – friend left her keys in my car because I drove them all to eat for to lunch. I bought dinner for everybody before we took off. And uh, I'm almost to Charlotte, and my daughter called me and said, hey, you've got my friend's keys in your car. So fortunately, I pulled into the city. It was a Sunday. Pulled into the city, found a UPS store, and just sent them off and then drove on. But I thought Charlotte was really nice, and it was very uh, – <laughs> It wasn't busy at all on a Sunday, downtown Charlotte.
0: All right. I don't want to hold this up too much, but I gotta share a Charlotte story. All okay. Right? All right. So I, I let's see. Uh, probably twenty years ago. Got tickets to go to the NASCAR race down to Charlotte. I'm a NASCAR fan. Uh, so we went down to Charlotte. It was kind of a last minute thing. Booked the booked the hotel, looked nice, it was you know, affordable at the time. We didn't make a lot of money, so it, it fit the uh, the requirements for us. We go down. And we pulled in, we check in, and it definitely looks a little sketchy. Like there's like nobody around, looks like it's maybe in a little bit of a shady section of town. And we're like, "Uh, yeah, well, too late now, we're here, right? And so we go and we travel around, we go downtown, we go visit a couple of the NASCAR shops and do some other things. We come back that night, and the entire place is filled with all of the Carolina State Troopers. They were in town for the race to take care of all the traffic control. Apparently, they put them all up at this hotel. So we come pulling back into our hotel that we're worried is going to be all sketchy. Yeah, you we come back in and it's like state cops everywhere, just like hanging outside of their their rooms and everything. So suddenly we felt really safe and the place didn't seem so sketchy. All right, a lot of firepower. That was my introduction to first time staying down in the Charlotte area.
1: Cool. So what there was it, what was it like growing up there? Like, what was your family life like? And you know, growing up in Charlotte, how was that?
2: Uh, so I grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, and uh, lived in a, a little bit of a bubble, but excellent community-based, love-based upbringing. Uh, I've got one younger sister, was involved in the church, was involved in school, played a lot of sports. My dad was the coach. My mom always you know, made the desserts, so we were, we were engaged. On the weekends, we'd, uh, we had a boat on one of the lakes, so we'd either go there or in the fall. We'd go hiking. I was in the scouts and uh, we went camping as a family sometimes. So it was a good upbringing. One of the nice things about Charlotte is that it's kind of equidistant between the mountains and the beach a couple hours each direction. And I got plenty of both. So it was, it was a very good experience. I had a, I'm had. not a practicing Catholic anymore, but uh, I had a great experience in the church. And I've still got some, uh, some good friends that I, uh, I'm a little bit connected to. So it, it, it was good. And Charlotte was a great place to do it. It was safe. Um, a lot of outdoor activities, lots of like-minded folks, uh, plenty of prosperity. So I, I enjoyed it.
1: Oh, that's cool. What? Um. So did, did you uh, do you go to did you go to that? Yeah, can't talk. Did you go to a different church now?
2: I, I do. I go to a non-denominational church here in Charlotte. That uh, actually Waypoint. You may have heard of it. Uh, a lot of F three guys in in this area go there.
1: Yeah. And really, the only reason I ask is I grew up Catholic and uh, in, when I became, right after I got married, I ended up um, becoming a Baptist. So I go to the Baptist church now. In fact, I'm an elder there now, but uh, yeah. So we share that experience. Yeah. So interesting. I didn't go to yeah, Catholic it was, school. It, it,
2: it was a good community. I just, uh, you know, I disagree with with, with a few of the uh, uh, Catholic policies and things, but uh, yeah, no, no, no love lost. Uh, lots of respect. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and there's lots of different doors and windows into the same house, um, and, and we've just named a few of them, so it's all good.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I, I'm just uh, interested because that was my story as well. Um, yeah, so um, very cool. Well, we try to do this for this podcast for the glory of God, let guys, other guys know. You know, our mission is to help guys to become more virtuous leaders, and we, we say it as become the virtuous leaders that you're called to be. And I didn't plan on saying this, but the reason I say called to be is because that's what it says in Scripture. Right? In Genesis, uh, uh, Adam was supposed to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the animals on the ground. So anyway, we are I won't go too much into that, but um, but that's what we're called to be here. So we're going to try and, and help everyone out there through your story today to become more virtuous leaders. So he said you're involved in sports and your dad coach. What did your dad coach?
2: Uh, let's see. Uh, baseball, soccer, and basketball, mostly basketball. My dad was a basketball, still is a basketball nut. So I played a lot of that. Um, and I think he coached me through, through grade school, probably. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that was my sport, basketball. I wasn't great, but I was a little above average for my area, I think. And my area wasn't that great for basketball, so <laughs>
2: <Not a laughs> you're one taller than me too. So that probably came a little bit more natural than it did to me. I well, was terrible.
1: Yeah, I was. So uh, what was imp- interesting is I was the sh- one of the shortest guys on the team until I got into tenth grade. So I was a point guard because of that. And uh, my dad was a point guard when he played in ba- played in school. So I learned how to handle the ball and all that stuff. And then then I shot up to six foot one over a summer. I grew like six inches. So now I'm a six foot one point guard. Which today. Today that's not a big deal, but back nah. in 1983,
2: you were a big boy.
0: A
1: six, right. six foot one, six foot one point guard was a big, uh, big point guard. Yeah,
2: but I I'm, think organized sports are, are uber important to a, a good upbringing. Um, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with the way that it's done now and the uh, club sports the people are playing year round and traveling all over yeah. the country and spending a bunch of money, um, but organized sports. When I was growing up and still to this day, just there's no better way to teach a young man or woman how to be on a team, how to take direction, um, how to endure defeat, how to uh, push themselves, all those things. I mean, it's, it's perfect.
1: Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I know a lot of people lament the, the fact that kids are out there doing sort of making up play, making up games on their own outside and stuff like that. But, uh, but organized sports was a big part of my life as well. I completely agree with you. Oh, that's cool. See I had a hard time, and, and I didn't
2: do – this didn't happen to me, but, like, when my nephew was playing soccer, like, really young, they don't keep score because they don't want to <laughs> – right, uh sure. I guess they don't want to upset somebody. I, I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, that's just kind of part of it, and I don't think you can be too young. But, anyway, that's how they do it now.
1: Yeah, it doesn't take long. The, the kids don't have to be very old before at least the boys, for sure, are keeping score themselves yeah we so <laughs> we
0: you know we had the upward basketball program at the church for for yeah. a lot of years there and kin- i think kindergarten we didn't keep score and then after that we we started keeping score but you could ask any kindergarten boy walking off the court at the end of the game he knew what the score oh, yeah. was yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh yeah there oh, wasn't yeah. a scoreboard but the kids knew yeah
2: yeah it's like telling don't it's oh, like that's saying how life works, man. that's that, i mean you you learn that from one yeah. of the yeah. earliest things that, that you become cognizant of is that uh You know, the world's somewhat of a competition and, uh, you know, a score is kept no matter what it is that you do. Uh,
1: Amen. I used to teach my kids that. Life is a competition.
2: And so... Yeah, you need to learn how to be on the winning and losing end. Um, And you can't be too young to learn either of those things.
1: Yep. Totally, totally agree. All right. So, um, you uh, Mm -hmm. you end up starting out uh, in college but uh, didn't finish right away. What happened there?
2: Yeah, so I... um, I kind of ruined a little bit of the end of the story. I'm a, I'm a recovering alcoholic and drug addict um, almost 17 years now, but things kind of started going off the rails when I was in college and uh, they, they went off the rails for a good number of years. But yeah, so I, I uh, went to Duke university, I got a scholarship to go there and uh, I had flunked out once and I, I got back in and then I was there a few more semesters and I just uh, wasn't able to graduate uh, because I was not invited back. And that was, gosh, I was, you know, I was, I was in my early twenties, twenty, twenty-one when that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And, and after that, I, I had a, I had the perfect job for an alcoholic. I was a bartender at a college bar. So I stuck around up there and did that for a while and, uh, dove deeper into my addiction. Um, and it was, it was a number of years before I, uh, I was able to get things straightened out.
1: Yeah. How did it happen? How did you get straightened out?
2: Well, um, I, I tell a joke that, that for people that don't understand what alcoholism is or what it feels like or how it works, a uh, man walking down the street, sees a sign in the window of a bar, all you can drink $1. He walks in and says, to the bartender, give me $2 worth. That's uh <laughs> kind of a, in a, in a nutshell. Um, and, and the problem was, I didn't necessarily have control over, over my actions or who I was, you know, growing up in the, in the, um, surroundings that I described to you, there was this kind of perfect model of a person. You go to school and you get good grades and and do well in high school and you play sports and then you get to a good college and you get a degree, you get a good job, you marry somebody and have two and a half kids and, and, and and work till you're about 60, 65 and retire and, and, and all that good stuff. Um, and I, you know, I knew the the type of guy that I was supposed to be. I, I knew what I wanted to do. Um, but as time went on, I just saw myself moving in the opposite direction and every single day of my life at the depths of my addiction, I was able to plan my way out of my mess. I knew exactly what I had to do. Uh, you know, I had to clean, you know, wash the dishes and open the mail and I had to, call my mom and I, you know, I, I need to make sure I got to work on time and all, all the different things you do to be successful in life. And every single day I fell far short of, of what those goals were. And the only way I could deal with that repeated failure was to, was to get blasted at the end of the day. And I did that for an awful long time. And, uh, I got to the point where I was burning my bridges before I even came to them. Um, I had created this facade of an individual that I wanted you to meet. I didn't like the real me and I, and I damn sure knew you wouldn't like the real me. So I wanted this fake person to be met. And when you do something like that, you're surrounded with, uh, you know, a bunch of fake people that don't know you that don't really care about you because you don't let them know you. And anybody that penetrates that facade was out. Yeah. So eventually I got to the point where I didn't have anybody in my life that was close to me. The ones that were, had tried to help me and had given up. And, uh, I, I tell the story often that, Kind of the last straw was I I was living by myself and I had a golden retriever. His name was Homer. And he was kind of the last carbon unit on this earth that that cared much for me or or could trust me. And I had gone out and I'd been out of the house for like a day and a half. And this poor dog was left inside. And I opened the door and he had to pee, of course. And he walked right past me and, and did his business and went back inside, completely ignored me and laid down. And I just felt in my heart at that moment that the last carbon unit in this world that was on my side just gave up on me. And uh, I hit my knees that day in my yard and uh, prayed to a God. I wasn't sure, wanted to have anything to do with me anymore and asked for help. And that was 2005. And uh, shortly thereafter, I found myself in a residential treatment facility and uh, started learning a little bit about this disease, a little bit about the forgiving nature of my higher power and a lot about what I needed to do uh, to make amends and move forward uh, with my life and start moving back towards this person that I knew that that I was called to be. Um, so that journey started back then. Wow,
1: that's interesting. I, I, that's amazing to me because I, first of all, c- congratulations and praise God that yeah. you got through that. But um, I don't know you that well. Obviously, we only met at the Keysong Convergence briefly, but seeing you uh, and hearing you on other podcasts, I would never guessed that that was
2: part of your story. Um, so um, I guess that's what my sponsor tells me when I know that I'm doing things right when I tell people my my story and they're they're shocked and can't believe that I used to be that man and uh, and and that's a good thing so yeah I uh, sometimes I recount some of the stories and some of my drunk log and some of the things I did and some of the people I let down and it surprises even me because I left and think I was come a long way since then, but yeah. it's a very, very important time in my life that I need to not forget so that I don't repeat it.
1: Yeah. Amen to that.
0: All right. I got, I got to ask, was Homer waiting for you when you got out of rehab?
2: He was, he awesome. absolutely was. And, uh, <laughs> he, he was, uh, a, a puppy back then and he lived another eight or nine years. So yeah, I, I credited that dog was getting me sober. Yeah. Um, awesome. God and dog.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God can use your dog
2: to reach That's you. That's right.
1: Yeah. So then you met your wife, got married in 2007, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, I actually met her in the program. And, um, yeah, we got married. And, and <laughs> it was a pretty pretty quick courtship. Uh, we got engaged on Memorial Day in Buxton, North Carolina, in the Outer Banks. And we got married that very same Labor Day uh, at the end of the summer. So it was pretty quick.
1: That yeah, is quick. That's quicker than me. I thought I was quick. <clears throat> we got engaged on September nineteenth. Got married on January fifteenth. I think yours was shorter <clears throat> by a little bit, anyway. Yeah, that's that's a, a fast time to plan a a, mar- a wedding and a marriage and all that. And your uh, your wife, uh, she had a daughter at, at the time. You married.
2: Um, yep, that's right. I've got a stepdaughter. Uh, her name's Parker. She was five at the time. She's twenty one now. Um, so yeah, we were not able to have kids of our own, despite the fact that we tried and, um, it just wasn't part of God's plan. So yeah, I I got a stepdaughter I love as my own and a couple dogs and that's the story. Yeah.
1: Well, that's part of the story because you've obviously become a high impact man since then. And, um, you're now the, the Nantan for the nation. And when did you take over that role? How long ago was that?
2: Uh, so that was the, uh, I took over CEO last year, yeah, 2021 in, in January. It's, a, it's a relatively new, Nantan has been around, uh, F3 Nation has undergone some uh, structural changes, meaning that we added some structure. The board of directors and, and in our bylaws, we have an executive group that is responsible for the day-to-day operations of uh, the entity, which is a corporation. F3. And that's where we have a CEO, uh, a COO, president of the foundation, president of the nation, uh, and a couple other folks that are responsible for that. And we all answer to the board of directors. And I've, I've actually got a seat at both tables. I'm on the board of directors and uh, I lead the operating group. Um, But we started that uh, in 2019 and dread was the first person who was the, the true CEO he's always been the Nantan and then he handed that off to me and uh, we, we I took possession of the Nantan flag in Wilmington in January of 21.
1: Okay. That's what I seem to remember. So how's your experience been so far?
2: Uh, man, a uh, flipping whirlwind. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. it, it's, <laughs> it's a lot. Uh, you know, I, I own, my own my own business and uh, I'm involved in, in several other things. So this this role has taken on an awful lot. You know, it, it doesn't really mean, uh, as much as it might in a traditional company because as hopefully most of your listeners and you guys know, you know, we're, we're a starfish organization. You know, we, what's important is what's happening in the regions and what's happening at five thirty in the morning. And we don't want to change that. With that being said, there's just enough structure that exists to protect this organization and to help it grow. Uh That's why we've done what we've done because of all of that, you know, dread was a visionary. Uh, he is, um, there is no better person to have started and grown this thing the way that he did. He, he just, his, his gift is inspiring men. His gift is, is talking about whatever it is he needs to talk about. Um, you know, and he laid the groundwork for what, what's happening well, there's been a a structural shift in what was needed to take F3 to the next level. And that essentially is running it like a company with, you know, uh, tax attorney and accountants and, uh, trademark attorneys and, um, bylaws and board of directors and all those types of things. Um, you know, and I think that's one of my gifts. Uh, I do a decent job as the front man, but not nearly as good as dread. Nobody's as good as dread. Um, what he did was important then. And what I'm doing is important now. Uh, it's just, we're not the same organization. All of this structure didn't exist back then. So it's been a lot of behind the scenes. All those things that I mentioned t- it takes up a lot of my time. Um, financial reports and, and P&L on and the balance sheet and uh, legal matters and tax returns and the foundation and all that kind of behind the scenes stuff takes, takes a lot of, Uh, takes a lot of time and we've got a huge shared leadership team. You know, we've got expansion and we've divided the country into sectors and now we're spreading internationally and we have all the podcasts and we have the newsletter and all of that. So there's dozens of guys across the country that are helping putting that together. And I guess at the tippy top of that pyramid organizational chart, I just try to make sure that everybody uh, feels and is actually supported in what they're doing. That's I think my main job.
1: Wow, that's a lot. You know, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I, I hadn't, I didn't really appreciate the amount of uh, work and structure, sort of centrally. Yeah. You know, because you know we're just out here in a region doing our thing and and uh, st- staying in touch and in tune uh, through things like the podcast and a newsletter and stuff like that. But uh, do you ever worry that you might get you might get a little too? you are supposed to be a starfish organization, and we are, but that's going to take some constant vigilance to protect that isn't it
2: absolutely there isn't anything that's probably more of a regular conversation than that balance of power you know how much structure is just enough and what's that line where it becomes too much because like you said it the fact that there's probably thousands if not tens of thousands of guys across the country that don't know anything about any of the things <laughs> I just said right they don't know that podcasts exist. They don't know there's a newsletter. Uh, they don't know there's a board of directors. They're showing up in the morning with their friends and accelerating their own life. That's fine. Um, you know, They don't need to know who I am or who the podcasts are. Um, what they need to do is to be protected to make sure their workout still exists and that that exact same opportunity can be brought to the doorsteps of every single man uh, in this country and in this world. So, uh, But at the same time, you know, we got to make sure that as this thing grows and becomes, uh, I guess, more valuable, if nothing else, that, you know, somebody down the line can't sell all of our intellectual property to Reebok or something. And right. There's, there's a lot to protect.
1: Yeah, that takes a lot of work. And, it's a, it's a, and I'm sure that you're already thinking about grooming the next guys and making sure that they've got the same vision and, <clears throat> and doing the same thing. Uh, but don't worry about you know people not knowing about all this stuff from now on because we have so many listeners,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, cats out of the bag now. A <laughs> couple hundred might, might, yeah. might now know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hey, we had somebody who was listening to us in Moscow. Yeah. Right. So we got. I don't know if they still are.
0: But, but, but you're spot on. I mean, we should, we like it's good that we don't know these things. Like we want to know about the podcast and the resources that are out there for the men. Mm-hmm. But to to know all the other stuff that you're doing behind the scenes, like let's not know about that. I, yeah. Like. We're showing up. We're working out together, five six days a week, right? Um, to covering all of our F's and uh, what's happening back there. We're glad we got guys like you taking care of it, and we support you and uh, pray for you, encourage you.
1: Yes, and, and thankful for you. Thank yeah, you, thank you absolutely. for absolutely. Thanks that, for, that's thanks a lot for work. serving in that role. Because I know that part of this is is traveling.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, like, how many weekends are you spending away? Because because you got all that going on, and then you're 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 going to I guess most of the grow rucks, right?
2: Um, Yeah, a lot of them. uh, Let's see. I've got 16 weekends this year scheduled to be out of town for F3. Some of those are grow rucks. Uh, A lot of it uh, is like going to the Keystone Convergence. I've done several things just like that. Um, And then occasionally I'm out of town for work or personal. And of course, I always catch up with F3 wherever I am. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason I'm out of town so much is um, uh, owning a construction company. I think that it's important that I show up on the job site so I can meet the people that are doing what they do and and see what they're going through and listen to their stories. Uh, and you know, I try to treat my role in F3 the exact same way. Um, I was at the Keystone Convergence because Red Baron asked me to come. He's on the board of directors with me at F3. And I'm like, you know, if, 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 if he thinks that'll be helpful for me to be there, absolutely. I'll be there. Um, so I learn a lot from going to these places and you know, it's, it's, it's not so much that I'm a big deal because, because I'm not, but F3 is a big deal. And to meet somebody to, that's in, you know, a national leadership role, uh, it means a lot to guys, whether I'm in this position or whomever it is. Uh, so by doing that, it helps our mission. And it helps uh, feel, make the guys feel supported. It helps the regions grow. And I learn a lot when I'm there too. I meet you know, I met you said, yeah. for example, I meet lots of guys. I hear lots of stories. I hear lots of suggestions, and I see what's going on. I mean, you've heard some of the stuff I'm sure that I've put out uh, lately about pushing yourself further, and, and you heard what I said at the Keystone Convergence about when you're at the top of the game, trying to, you know, it's time to change your game. You know, those are all things that I've I've learned from being in different parts of the country, mm-hmm. and uh, and and as far as the the back of house stuff that we're doing, that also helps you know, it takes a lot of money to run an organization that gets zero revenue from the participants uh, by just being in the gloom. Um, So, you know, negotiating how that's working is important to, to watch as well. So that's why I feel like uh, I need to travel for F3 as much as I do. And I absolutely love it. I mean, it's the greatest uh, gift that, that I've, I've, I've probably gotten is the opportunity to do what I'm doing with F3 and being there and, and, amongst these men all across the country. And like I said, hearing their stories, it it doesn't get any better than that because the stories are amazing. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard dozens and dozens and dozens of stories that would put you on your ass. I mean, you know, guys losing a hundred pounds. Yeah, sure. That that's common. I mean, I'm talking about marriages saved and, and I mean, everything you can imagine um, because of F3. So I love it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's what our whole podcast is predicated <laughs> <gonna> say, on. <laughs> sounds like a great idea for a podcast.
2: <laughs> you yeah. guys
1: come on and tell their story, yeah. Um, so I want to talk about the Keystone Convergence since we went there because I have a few, uh, few points I just wanted to bring up there. But the first thing I want to do is ask you, well, first of, all, first of all, thank you for being there and for giving the talk. I thought it was a great talk, and I do want to get into that just a little bit. But, but my first question to you is, you experienced it. Tell me, tell us, you know, what you liked about it, but more importantly, what do you have any ideas how we could improve it?
2: Uh, get more men to come. Um, because I think what's there is extremely beneficial to anybody that would, you know, it, it, a convergence in one, in one region is one thing. Most of the guys would usually know each other. There's a lot of folks that hadn't seen each other since when they met at the first Keystone convergence last right, year. Right. Um, so I heard a lot of ideas being swapped. I heard a lot. There was a lot of Nantans there, guys in different leadership positions. They were talking about what they do for first F and mm-hmm. for community interaction and, and all of that. Um, so it was very collaborative. Um, there were also a large, uh, uh, spattering of things to do. You know, there were some people that only showed up for the second F event. They had family stuff to get to. Mm-hmm. Some people had to skip the Friday night, um, and, and they were only there for Saturday, et cetera, et cetera. So I would say that it would help to bill it as more of, even if you only come to one thing, mm-hmm. still come. Because I think a lot of people probably had uh, the feeling that it was kind of an all or nothing type of an event. And it would have been, I mean, it, it honestly would have been worth it for somebody to drive early in the morning from Pittsburgh, for example, for a couple hours to just go to the workout in the community uh, you know, the, the, um, project, uh, who did we do that with? A service that was a,
1: yeah. It was a missionary organization, mission organization downtown that uh, renovated a park that was literally Love the hill.
2: yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah. Love the hill. That's what it was. Love so it would have been working only to do those, those few things because, uh, altogether it was unbelievable, but even each part and piece was worth, uh, attending.
1: Yeah, that's it was a, good, uh, it,
2: it, it was really good.
1: Yeah. That's a great point. And I, um, and we talked, we had a, a sort of an after action meeting about it and said the same thing. We got to figure out how to get more guys there. And so we have got some ideas coming up um, for that. So uh, everybody stay tuned. We might be thinking about changing the date because the middle of June uh, or end of June is kind of high vacation time for people. So we're thinking about maybe moving it to like October or something like that. Or,
2: yeah, well, I can tell you this from experience. It doesn't matter when you move it. If you have it in October, you're going to miss a bunch of people because they've they're the kids' little league right games. If you if you move it to the winter, it's going to be too cold. If it's the summer, it's going to be vacation season. So, um, I don't know how much it matters. I think what's more important is focusing on getting the word out. Uh, how you get the message out. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, And then the other point you brought up is like you're seeing guys that you only saw once before, but one of the great things about F3 is what you also touched on that you like so much about it is meeting other guys. But even if you never met them before, it's almost like you have an automatic brotherhood because you're you're part of something uh, that you that you share. Let's F this F3 thing. And I like our guys I met down there. At the Keystone Convergence that I never met before, who are hugging me, and you know, guys that uh, that I met once before, and we're just catching up like we're old friends, you know. So that's that's one of the really cool things about F three. That's the whole second F thing that really, um, really makes this thing worthwhile. So I want to talk about your your uh, talk that you gave us at the end, and again, I thought it was fantastic. Um, we were going to put it on our website. I don't know if we've done that yet or not. All right, Spielberg's on it. He's going to do it. <laughs> um, but we did share it with our with our region and so forth. But uh, two things, well, three things. One, I want to tell you that you inspired me to get, to get the book Legacy, so I just started reading that about the All Blacks because you referenced that, and I love to read stuff. Yep. and you know, in Legacy, they reference a whole other bunch of other books that I've read. So I'm like, wow, this this so that's right up my alley. All this stuff about uh, leadership and and creating culture, and I use it as recently. Two days ago, I put out the things to the, my SLT um, about the sigmoid curve, and the, yep. there's the, uh, the learning phase, the growth phase, the decline phase, right? And like you were talking about, when you're at the top of your game, that's when you got to kind of make changes, because otherwise yep. you start to decline. Yeah. Anyway, so you inspired me to read that book and we're trying to put that into practice in our region, in the Susquehanna Valley with my SLT. Um, yeah, a lot of that
2: dovetails uh, with, it, with what f is trying to, to teach. I mean, it's uh, a lot of parallels.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 there. There's nothing new under the sun, right? Um, but what we're doing is uh, is built off a lot of those concepts and concepts and precepts and Things that had worked before. Uh, one of the things you said in, the, um, in in your talk was this emblem. I'm wearing my F3 shirt, this F3 emblem on our shirts and how that stands for something. And that really spoke to my heart because I used to say that to the teams that I coached. Right, So if I coached a team, for instance, I coached the, the local high school girls soccer team. Varsity team, and they're called the Lady Ironman. I said you're not just a Lady Ironman when you step on the field, but when you everywhere you go, you're a Lady Ironman, and it means something. So when you said that, that really meant something to me, and I think we're hoping to make that impact in our community because we're doing service projects in our community and stuff like that. And um, so anyway, I just want to let you know that I really like that uh, part of your talk, um, and I think and I think it's right on, right on the money. Uh, but I do have a question for you because one of the things you said, and I'll quote. You you said F three can save the world, and I'm like, yeah, man, I cannot wait to have you elaborate on that when you come on the podcast. So, because uh, that's a big statement, right?
2: Yeah, uh, the biggest, the
1: biggest, right? Um,
2: <laughs> the biggest. So what I what I sometimes talk to to groups about is, is the fact that I think F three can can solve some of the social problems that society has endured since the beginning of time. And people look at me kind of funny and, uh, maybe, maybe a little doubtful. And I say, we've already done it once. Stag clown syndrome, a problem that society didn't even necessarily know that they had. Uh, we named it and solved it. That's number one. And that's a powerful thing that, that F3 has done. I mean, these stories I was telling you about that I hear and you've heard them and, and I've heard them on your show, guys, lives that, that are changed. They didn't know that they were all alone. They didn't know that they were a sad con. They didn't know that they were decelerating. They didn't know that they um, were a little bit depressed. Right. Mm-hmm. And they, they just happened to come to this workout. And why, why did people come to the workout for the first time? Cause they're, they're curious because they they want something different tomorrow than they had yesterday. Uh They don't know exactly what that means, but that's what gets guys out in the gloom. You know, people aren't having a perfect life at the top of their fitness and show up to F3. That usually doesn't happen, right? Guys show up because maybe they're a little bit overweight or maybe they're a little depressed and the fact that somebody reached out and singled them out was probably a big deal and they agreed to come out. Um, and that's how it, that's how it starts. Well, from there, man, the the, the gasoline is poured on the fire. And if you stick around for just a little while, and I talked about this at the Keystone Convergence as well, the men that don't come back, you know, the pain of change has not become less than the pain of staying the same yet. Uh, Because they know when they show up in the morning, it's easy to see. The answer to something is here, but I know that it's going to be hard. And if your life hasn't gotten bad enough that putting that work in to making it change doesn't seem like less work than staying the same miserable way you are today, they're not going to come back. But for those of us that do, we know that, that there's something worth putting all this effort towards. And then of course you, you as you guys know, you're around for just a little while and you get the bug and you start to, you start to change your life. You start to change your heart. You start to open up your heart. Um, and you start to connect with people on a very, very deep level, which is what we all really, really need. And once that power becomes ignited, um, that, that palpable ignition, um, that's when, when things start to happen. And that's why we have the F3 foundation. We want to harness all of that energy. We want to harness the fact that men are on fire and, and running their lives very efficiently, you know, in a high impact way, we want to harness the fact that they want to improve their communities. That's part of our mission. Um, We want to be able to provide them support through the foundation, monetary support um, and informational support, connecting them with guys across the country that have done things. And it's already happening. And I think that F3 has the ability to band together these very, very capable guys who are leaders in our community different than a lot of uh, a lot of the rest of members of society and, and help them change some of these social problems. Uh, like I said, that have been plaguing society from from the very beginning. I'm talking about homelessness, hunger, mental health, uh, marriage. You know, one of the things that I did in Chimbote, Peru We went over there for a mission trip, just a bunch of F3 guys. We didn't go there to do this, to spread F3. We just went on a mission trip, and we quickly figured out that in this village we were at, there weren't a lot of men around. There was a lot of moms and children. The guys were really nowhere to be seen. And we said, holy cow, we're completely in a different uh, society, but F3 is really, really needed. Um, And we kept going back and going back and started F3 at covid kind of screwed all that up. But uh, these men that were missing started coming back and uh, started uh, being present and, and and being around with their family. So, you know, I, I don't care where you go on this earth. Men are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, society is the same. The same problems exist everywhere. And as I've just described, I, you know, F3 has the prescription to, to make a difference, just like we did in Chimbote, Peru, just like we do in Pennsylvania, just like we will in New York City.
1: Yeah, amen to that. It's like you know, it's a it's a grassroots movement to reach the the core of the problem, right? Yeah. Um, and that is uh, men. I mean, I, we we've, we've talked about this since at least since the '90s in men's groups that I've been involved with. Uh, how men are absent, and that the statistics are out there. Everybody either knows them or pretty obvious that you uh, know the problem is the fatherlessness and guys uh, not living up to their responsibilities and stuff like that. And that's something we're hoping to change. So that I, I loved it. I loved it when you said that F3 can save the world. I mean, why don't we just aim big, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, as we expand, um, hopefully that continues to happen because we don't change the culture, uh, in Congress. We don't change the culture in the white house. Uh, we change the culture one heart at a time in, in families and communities. Very cool, man. So, um, I want to talk to you about the challenge that you had put out um, and I'll let you elaborate on that a little bit more, but basically you said, come on guys, you could all do more. Um, <laughs> and I think one of the examples you used was the burpees that you, you told guys to do, you know, when you started, uh, when you queued down in Jacksonville. Um, yep. So you could, you could tell us a little bit more what your challenge was, but my question for you is what kind of feedback have you had on that?
2: Um, I, I underestimated the response period. That yeah, I would get. It has been a massive response, uh-huh. uh, mostly good. Uh, some folks challenging it. So what I was talking about, and this goes back to, um, what I was ta- describing earlier in my travels is I want to get out there where the men are so that I can see and hear and listen to what's going on, uh, and observe. And one of the things that I've observed is that F3 as a whole, uh, has become somewhat soft. I see workouts that aren't that hard guys that aren't being challenged, that aren't challenging themselves. Um, they all, we all admit that uh, you know, the core principle where we uh, the workouts are held outdoors, rain or shine, heat or cold. Yeah, we do that because we need to, it's good to do something hard. Well, what was happening was guys were just waking up in the morning and going to a workout and checking the box that they had done something hard instead of being at the workout and pushing themselves physically to have done something hard. And, What, what was happening is that the workouts were getting easy. Guys weren't pushing themselves. And I, you know, I call the fitness, the gateway drug. If you're not pushing yourself physically, um, then you're probably not going to be challenging yourself mentally or emotionally, uh, nor will you be challenging your shield box if you're not being challenged, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a domino effect Mm -hmm. that starts in the gloom. And the very first thing that I noticed is, uh, my slaughter starter, which is for off the bat, you call 20 burpees. And I'm doing that in cities all across the country. Uh, I'm in, um, gosh, where have I been? I've been in Indianapolis and Charlottesville, Virginia, and Toledo, Ohio, and all over the place. And I'm calling this thing, and I'm watching guys only do a few of the burpees. I can promise you that pretty much every man in F3 can do 20 burpees in a row, but it sucks. Your, your, Your lungs start screaming, and your body's telling you to stop because it hurts and it's hard. And what's been happening is guys are doing exactly that at the first sign of trouble. They're giving up. And, um, that seems to be pervasive throughout all of these workouts. And because of that, all of the things that I was talking about changing the world are that much further from reality. You know, there's probably no better book or way to describe it than the comfort crisis.
1: Yeah. I read Right. It,
2: yeah. yeah. That's a good one. And that's exactly what we're talking about here is to, True growth only happens far, far outside of your comfort zone, and the further we get down the line here in time, society is making our lives easier and easier. Um, and F three is is fighting that. Now, the, that the the positive feedback I've gotten was guys all across the country saying, "Heck yeah, I've, I've noticed that. Wh- I've noticed that where I am. Hey, yeah, that's me." Uh, and of course, some people said. Well, you know, we're not supposed to leave anybody behind. So if we make the workouts too hard, then what about the guys that can't keep up? And I say to that, you need to ramp your workouts up to the most fit man there, as opposed to dumbing the workout down to the least fit men there, because that's going to move us the least far as a group, the dumb, dumb, more dumbed down. We get these workouts. You can, you can ramp it up, and you can do it in a way that'll both challenge the fittest guy that's there and still not leave the last guy behind. He may not do uh, seven laps on a Jacob's Ladder up a hill. He might do three. You know, he may not do 20 burpees. He may do 10. But as long as, as he's pushing himself and the the, the the most fit guy can push themselves, then I think that's where we need to be. So the challenge talked about fitness, but really the rest of my challenge talked about the rest of your life. Where else are we not challenging ourselves? You know, what about, uh, what about that book you wanted to write? What about the the shelves you were supposed to hang in the garage for three months? Mm -hmm. What about instead of just ordering Uber Eats and watching a movie for date night, why don't you actually take the time? And I'm talking to myself too boys Mm -hmm. to to plant something special, right? All of these things to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone so, so that we can uh, grow as individuals so that we can grow as leaders and uh, so that we can grow as mentors to the people that are just coming into this program. Cause I can promise you that somebody that comes to their first workout and is not physically challenged is less likely to come back mm-hmm. than a person who comes and gets their ass handed to them. Right. Yep. That's what makes people come back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah yeah amen to
1: that i um i think i think we do pretty well here
0: um he, he he hit on all the key points of of discussion i think that we had internally with our packs mm-hmm. after after we shared and a bunch of us had watched it And i know beach ball was fired up right Beachball was like yeah. i'll show him i'm gonna show him how tough i can <laughs> yeah so we got a young guy we'll do a he's guy. f3 beach ball he's about 30 what is he 30 yeah something like that anyway yeah
1: uh, and he's, he's a really good guy and he's, and he's pretty fit and he's, and he's competitive. Uh, so he took that as a challenge and he's like, he was all fired up about it. And he was like telling me and I'm like, well, dude, you're free to lead. Why don't you get a hold of Slaughter? And so, cause he wanted to invite you up to work out with us and show you what we can do. And so he said, okay, I'll do that. So he, I, you probably, I don't know if you remember, but he got a hold of you and you said, well, I'll, I'll be at the Keystone Convergence if you're going to be there. And so, and yeah, so what I yeah. did for him was I was supposed to cue one of the, uh, evolutions during the seesaw on Saturday morning, and uh, I gave it to him. I said, "You you cue it. Go ahead." And uh, so I don't know if he talked to you at all after that, but that was I, I thought it was kind of cool that he was you know fired up about that in a good way. Well, the poor,
0: way. poor poor boy got to his location in the soccer practice. Was yeah, going on
1: there, yeah, right. We, we, he, he, he was supposed he to do to a thing on, on the, the field, fly. but he had to do it in the sand, <laughs> which worked out fine. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, what. What did happen was it it did exactly that. It got men talking. It got men talking about. Yeah. uh taking the temperature of their AOs, of their region and of themselves. And what happened was people are saying, what are we doing? Where are we in this thing? Are we yeah. are we challenging ourselves? And most people that I've heard from came back and said, No, we're not. Yeah. So it was good. I mean it, it it spawned a conversation all across the country and uh I think it was one that needed to happen. And hopefully it 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 pushed the ball uh, as a collective whole, forward just a little bit more than uh, it was moving on its own. So, mission accomplished, I say. Yep, well yeah, done.
1: yeah, I think so, and I, I can relate to that because that's kind of how I am. I, I said in a, in a, I don't know what, how many podcast episodes ago, I think one of my spiritual gifts is provocation, and so um, <laughs> I like to provoke, you know, provoke thought uh, and and uh, but provoke things to get things moving, and and I, I guess that would fall into that category.
0: Yeah, what did our pack say about uh, when ask asks questions, it's not about. The question—it's about the reason behind the question or something yeah. like that. I forget yeah. how we worded it, but it was like, "Yeah, that's exactly it, right?"
1: Yeah, they're on to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, cool. I, I you know, I, I totally uh, could appreciate that. And yeah, you can do that. You, you definitely. I should. I, I try to tell my packs develop a hard workout. You know, and we find a way. Find a way to make sure that the six is. Uh, not left behind and there are a lot of ways you could do that so it's like you just you don't have to even be that creative to do it but you can do it
0: no one remembers or talks about the easy workout that's right right it's the brutal who 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 can have the nastiest toughest beat down right yeah
1: challenge ourselves in that way yeah Yeah. so yeah i let a ruck beat down recently that was kind of hard but we just started rucking, by the way, in our region. I just, we just named one AO, a rucking AO. So we're, we're getting into it a little bit here. Um, and I, I do like want yeah, I do want to talk to you about that um, a little bit. So we might as well talk about it now. So you're a, ca- a cadre for the GTEs. Um, for those yep. who don't know what a GTE is, can you describe it and then tell us how, what your role is there?
2: So the grow Up program is um, a few years old in F3 and it's, 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 it's designed to um it's got a few different components but the most common um element is the GT a, a grow up training exercise and it's an entire weekend that takes um it takes leadership it takes F3 uh itself and it takes personal acceleration and regional acceleration and kind of rolls it all into one glorious weekend it starts with a uh, a rally on a friday night and Guys get to know each other, kind of a second F thing, and it reinforces what F3 is. Any newcomers or people that even been around just a little while may not actually have heard the core principles and, and uh, the credo and the, and the mission statement. So we do a little bit of that, and then uh, we have a workout in a, a grow school on Saturday morning, and the, the culminating event is an all-night ruck. Back in the day, we used to subcontract that event out to go ruck which, of course, is the company that makes, uh, makes the gear and, and they put on their challenges and things. We've taken that all in-house. Uh, so F3, uh, Grow Ruck is a division within the F3 Nation Incorporated, and we put these events on. And uh, by doing that, you know, we bought event insurance and everything else. We had to come up with our own cadre. And at first we had uh, a few folks, and these were special forces, military, um, guys who were F3 guys that started doing it. And then we eventually realized we needed more cadre as the program was growing. Uh, you know, we're going to have nine events this year. And, uh, so we had cadre Academy and we brought some non military folks such as myself into the cadre program. Um, and the reason that we're expanding this program so much is because there's probably no better way, certainly in a single weekend to, uh, basically set the region and a bunch of individuals on fire about that three and about acceleration and taking a group of men and pushing them past what their perceived mental, physical and emotional limits were. And as I told you earlier, that's the only place where I think for true growth occurs so that by the end of this thing, you're not the same man coming out that you were going in. And I see it happen all the time. It works perfectly and it is flipping amazing. I mean, if you've never been to a patch ceremony at the end of a ruck phase of a GTE weekend, you need to show up and just see the raw emotion on these men's faces. And you can see the fact that they realize they've accomplished something they did not think they were capable of. And they're absolutely not the same men they were anymore. And their lives are forever changed for the better. That's what a GTE is.
0: Yeah. You ready to do it? Yeah. Are you in? Yeah, I'm, I, I absolutely want to do one. All right. Yeah, I got to wait till after this fall, so I'll be looking into next year.
2: Yeah, I was. So here's here's part of the problem is that we don't have many men sign up for these things. We've got room for roughly 150 guys to participate in one of these weekends, and we've been having 50, maybe 60 in the last couple. In Valley Forge, for example, where you guys are at, yeah, there's eight guys signed up. Yep. This goes back to what I was saying. There's too many people scared yeah. of doing something hard and not pushing themselves. And it, uh, it makes me a little bit sad that there's such a wonderful opportunity for personal and regional growth that men are missing out on because they're afraid of putting in the work and, and, and receiving the pain to get to the next level. One, one um, thing I, I, That's a challenge. That's right. I'm, I am issuing a challenge for some more guys to, to sign up. It's specifically, where you two knuckleheads live <laughs> including you,
0: yes unfortunately works keeping me from uh doing it but that's why i said I, i'm going to be shooting for next year to to get to one um one, one question i've always wanted to ask about the, uh, the the events is do you do you recommend packs going to one where they don't necessarily know anybody like they're not they're not going with a group of their guys from their region um or or is there some benefit to going there with you know two or three guys from your region
2: so the true benefit is training together. Even if you are traveling to a different region and you have at least one other man to train with, um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I think the best part of a vacation is the anticipation of vacation <laughs> as opposed to the actual vacation itself. Uh, the best part of a, of a GTE weekend is the training that men do together in the weeks and months leading up to an event. So because of that, I say it's best with the buddy. Although, you can certainly do it all by yourself and show up not knowing a single other packs and you will have brothers for life, uh, come Sunday morning.
1: Yeah. I was, uh, hoping to do that. i uh, facing a possible second back operation. I'm having an injection next month. If that works, then I, and uh, then I'm looking forward to doing a GTE. Unfortunately the one in Valley Forge I I'm, committed to working that whole weekend and I can't get out of it, but, um, so,
0: so we're, we're, are we going to like do a little pinky thing here or something and say next year we're going to one? Uh,
1: if, if, my, if, if my, you're back, if, my if back, you're back, yeah, I'm in.
0: All right. All right.
1: I mean, I would have done one a year ago if my back was okay. Yeah,
2: But fair uh, enough. Uh, you know, and if for some reason you're not able to do the actual, you know, and, and, and there are certainly reasons why men can't and shouldn't do that. I mean, there's physical limitations based on injuries and things, but, uh, The support crew, the group of men that uh, plan these events ahead of time, along with the cadre team, and they're out there all night long providing the support is an important role too. And you get, uh, you know, you get a little secondhand smoke off of that uh, on the support (laughs) team. And it's a, it's a crucial role to be held. So if you can't do the actual event and put a, a 50 pound ruck on your back all night, then, then consider being on the support
0: crew i like it secondhand smoke i gotta yeah. remember that one that's good spielberg are you doing it? that's right <laughs> all
1: right spielberg says he's in all right he's gonna do a gte too so i like yeah. it yeah i tried i tried a year ago to get somebody to be our, our ruck queue and somebody volunteered but he never did anything with it so we don't have a ruck queue in our region but i had we i had an idea of starting ruck ruck beat down and we started it what about a month ago thunder ruck yeah, and so uh, we changed our Tuesday morning beatdown to a ruck beatdown. So we, we're just so we're getting we're getting ramped up.
2: Yeah, yeah and that's that's important, Dfib. Uh, one of the next evolutions of our uh, shared leadership team for the Grow Ruck program is to help regions uh, build their rucking culture and yeah. to put together a training program. Like I, the example that I use is, you know, if I said, Hey, Dfib, let's let's go run a, an ultra marathon uh, in December together. You'd be, you'd probably be like, no, I don't think so. But if I said, hey, I'm starting on this training program, and blah blah blah, tomorrow's day one, I'm running one mile. Will you run one mile with me? You'd probably say, yeah, I'll do that, slaughter. Right. Uh, we want to do the same thing for the for the for the grow ruck program, so that regions can start doing that sort of thing. And the next thing you know, you've been training for two three weeks, and you're like, hell yeah, I'll do the grow ruck. I'm I'm ready now. I got a plan. I think that's going to make a big difference: is getting that rucking culture up and going, and then giving people some. Uh, some some hard uh, training programs to follow. Uh, and a lot of the regions have it, but a lot of them, like you guys, don't. So we're going to help with that.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. That's, that's great. That's, yeah, it's and good to hear. We're yeah.
2: moving on
1: it. We're moving on it. All right. Good. Yeah, cool. Um, so there's a there's an advertisement for GTE, y'all out there. Everybody listening. If they have, people that don't know what rucking means, it means you wear a backpack with weight on it, weight in it, basically. Um, Maybe they, we
0: can put a link to that on our website as well. So
1: we're challenging Spielberg now.
0: All right. <laughs> Give me the dirty looks.
1: <laughs> so oh, yeah. I, I have a couple of personal questions for you. So I I, um, I haven't asked this question of any guests yet, but I plan on asking you, and I, and I do in pl- plan on ac- asking our next guest as well. Um, we have gotten through studying uh, different things as far as men's ministry that I'm involved with and things like that, and, and leadership courses, I guess, uh, so forth, uh, from a secular aspect, it's usually advisable for every man to be mentoring somebody and for every man to have kind of brothers in arms that are walking, uh, sort of along the same path, but also to have a mentor. And so I want, I thought it'd be interesting to ask you that. Do you, do you have a mentor?
2: I do. I've got a couple of different mentors. Um, I got a business mentor and then I've got Personal mentor who uh, who's an F three guy. So in in, in F three, of course, we call that uh, the whetstone program. Right. You got the stone and the blade. Uh, so yes, yeah, so I've got I've got a stone.
1: Nice. Um. Uh, yeah, I, I, we're gonna we're gonna ask our next guest that one too. So stay tuned to the episode after this one, <laughs> and you'll know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> so the other question I have for you is: I used to I used to direct a residency program for surgery, and I used to ask our candidates. Uh, who came in to interview um, this question, what's your proudest achievement? So what, what's your proudest achievement in
2: life? My proudest achievement in life is um, probably graduating from college. So you you heard my story about, uh, that happened at Duke. Well, fast forward to 2013, I, uh, I, I did graduate from college from Queens University here in Charlotte. And um, yeah, you know, I wanted to be an example to my stepdaughter. I wanted to uh, prove something to myself, and I, I, I wanted to kind of finish something that that I had started a long time ago. And um, uh, I graduated Magnum Laude and like I tell everybody in my AA talks, um, if you go to all your classes and you do all of the work assigned to you, you'll you'll get straight A's. Um, so that's what I did. Uh, so I, I think that's probably one of my, my proudest achievements.
1: That's a good one. Um, you must have been pretty smart because you said you got a scholarship to Duke, and Duke is pretty high academically. I would imagine that's a difficult thing to do to get a, a scholarship to Duke.
2: It, uh, it was a little bit of a different uh, place back when I went, but, uh, yeah, no, thank you. It, uh, it, it, it felt good at the time, um, you know, and part of my plan was to completely screw that opportunity up, and uh, <laughs> I, did, I did that twice, so I'm pretty proud of that too. Well done.
1: Yeah. Has that experience helped form you uh, uh, as far as your ability to lead and teach?
2: Oh, 100%. You know, one of the things that was unique in my experience was, um, you know, at Duke, the, the, the business department that I was in was, was pure academia. Every single professor at that university uh, had never set foot in the, in the real world. You know, they'd been in schools their entire lives as a student and graduate student and then as a teacher. Uh, when I when I went to, to Queens to finish my college education, it was the opposite. Most of the professors in the business program uh, had some real-world world experience. So um, seeing the two different sides of that uh, made a big impression on me. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer, you know, don't ask somebody to do something that you're not willing to do yourself. Uh, but also, but once again, why I travel around, um, you know, I, I just don't think that you can – lead without the proper experience. Um, you know, I'm I'm a cadre now for the Grow Rep program, but I've spent my time under the log uh, you know, for thirteen events and and, I, and that's important to me. That you know, that's Dred was my example. He he did the same thing and uh and I just think that's the right way to do things. So um my experience in college and my experience in life and my experience in uh running a company and, and running F three has has taught me the exact same thing um is to is to you know be there doing it uh, if you're going to ask people to follow you.
1: Yeah, nice. So from that leadership uh staying on the leadership theme um, we I in my opinion one of the one of the well not my opinion for me one of the biggest draws to F3 and one of the when I read Free to I was involved with F3 in Florida came to Pennsylvania there wasn't anything here and I end up, that's when I end up reading the book Free to Lead. When I was when I read that, and I t- and it talks about and in the Q source it talks about being missional, you know, having a mission statement, a mission, and sticking to it. Uh, that really spoke to my heart because I've I've done a lot of leadership research in the past and stuff like that, and have some experience. But um, but that really spoke to me. And I, I and our our mission for F three is to invigorate male community leadership. And one of the things as Nantan of our region that I really try to do is keep us focused on that mission. So, um, and sometimes, because it's very easy to get heavy on the first F, right? I mean, it's just so easy to get heavy on the first F. First F is important and it's important to develop yourself as a leader because we're doing the hard things and everything that you've just described in this whole interview, but, uh, but to try to keep the focus on developing leaders, virtuous leaders, and I know there's a Q source and people have Q source studies and stuff like that. But how else do you guys do it? Like, where you, were you, um, your region that you attend beatdowns, and as part of the SLT and as Nantana of the nation, you know, what are some things that you do to try to keep the focus on the mission?
2: Um, you're right. The 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 fitness is just a bait. You know, that's just that's just how we get guys in the door. It's really it's really a lot more than that. Um, and, and Metro, Charlotte Metro is, is a little bit of a different animal. We don't typically play by a lot of the same rules that the rest of the the nation is adhering to. Meaning, uh, for the longest time we weren't, we, we, we were almost too cool for school. I felt like, um, and we've, you know, we changed leadership. Uh, and I think that we are a lot different here now. Um, a couple of the things that I was involved with, early on in Charlotte was bringing F3 to uh, a residential treatment facility and to the uh, men's homeless shelter in Charlotte. And, and those things have really taken off and it's led to mentoring programs and bringing the Q source into these places uh, and, and different things. So that's gone a long way to, uh, to help men become missional in their communities. Um, you know, the other thing is you, you already asked me about it. You asked about, Uh, do I have a mentor? Um, You know, shield locks and the whetstone program are probably two of the most important um, initiatives that you can take on in your own life. And when that occurs, you just kind of naturally uh, try to accelerate. If you're in that uh, type of a relationship, that's what you're trying to do. And by having other people to help you set these goals and keep count of where you're going with them and, and measure how you're doing, you're just naturally going to become better at at whatever it is that you, you seek to, you seek to accomplish. And for us at F3, it's, you know, just like we talk about in a lot of COT prayers is being better men and fathers and husbands and leaders and members of society. So anyway, I I think by becoming engaged and remaining engaged and developing those parallel and um, vertical relationships, in the uh, shield lock and in, in the Whetstone program, it helps do that. And, you know, uh, it's important to go to QSource and talk about leadership, right? And to learn about leadership. But I think it's a little bit more important to do it. Uh, in Charlotte, we've got um, tutoring programs at, at schools and some uh, challenged parts of the community and things like that. So, my challenge to anybody else would be if you're in a Q source group and you're not in a practical application version of that, start one. Mm-hmm. If you're in Q source, go mentor at a school or go volunteer uh, serving dinner at the men's shelter or whatever that might be, but find a practical application of what it is you're talking about in your Q source group. And that's, uh, I think that makes a big difference.
1: Yeah, great comment. So just a couple other questions. One is another question I used to ask the people I interviewed. I haven't asked anybody on the podcast this question either. But uh, I always thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, so it's, you're an experiment this episode. <laughs> um, I like it. Yeah, so it depends on how well this question goes. We may ask it again <laughs> in the future. Uh, so I used to ask people this. I'll ask you, if you were to pick somebody, and it doesn't have to be somebody that's alive now, it could be some of the past or whatever, uh, that would be the person that you would say is your hero, or somebody that you look up to and inspired by. Who would that be?
2: I think that'd be my my, my grandpa. Um, I I told this story when I was at the um, uh, when I where did I go? It was in November, and um, I was in Virginia at uh, Hampton Roads, and I told this story when he was, uh, let's see, 1979, he uh, had to have a quadruple bypass surgery and he had written a letter to his family saying goodbye because he had a pretty good chance that he wasn't going to make it, especially not in 1979. So uh, at his 80th birthday, which was in 2012, something like that, long time after he was supposed to have died, one of, you know, I think it was my aunt got this letter out and, and, and read it to everybody. And it was the first time that a lot of my family had, had ever heard this, and it, it, was, uh, it was a letter telling his family about all of his hopes and dreams. And, uh, you know, he was a, he was a simple kind of guy, but because I had a personal relationship with him and I knew how far he had come um, to, to lead his family, you know, through their childhood and, and growing up and all those types of things, I mean, it's just a, a, a real-world uh, example of base hits win the game, mm-hmm. not home runs. He was a base hit guy, right? He uh, he wasn't swinging for the fences, never, ever did. He was just hoping to, hoping to get on first, and he did that his whole entire life uh, and uh, didn't expect any accolades or anything else. He was just trying to get his family through whatever was next. And, uh, you know, I personally, I think the world needs maybe just a little bit more of that kind of grit. Yeah. I love it.
1: That's awesome. He's hired. Yeah, he's (laughs) tired. Yeah. All right. Um, Two more questions. One is, um, you know, you're you're in the on the top of the pyramid here, higher uh, SLT wise for the nation and so forth. And I know that you put out a challenge about meeting certain goals in the next uh, few years. But uh, what's next? Are you guys are you guys planning uh, something next? Like what's the what's the next vision?
2: Absolutely. Uh, So we've got this international situation to contend with. It's uh, not something that we were prepared for, but it's happening. That's for darn sure. Um, So we're trying to corral that just a little bit and make sure that we're out in front of uh, being good stewards of international expansion. Um, The other thing that we are trying to accomplish is uh, we really want to make all of the information and experiences that start and grow uh, a region as accessible to men as possible. Um, We always use the example of, you know, we don't want to go from uh, just the spoken word to telegraph carrier pigeon to eventually, you know, we want to go straight to cell phones. You know, we don't want people to have to go through a painful learning curve uh, when all of these things have already been, thought of and done and and experienced. So we want to bring that to the men, uh, of the, of the nation now and the men that uh, are going to come, uh, into this organization in the future. Um, and the last thing I think that we're really looking to do is to protect this. I've said that a few things and that was the impetus behind the structure that we've created with the board of directors and the executive groups and, and, and the bylaws. But we want to kind of take that a step further to, um, preserve this organization for future generations, uh, to make sure that there's nothing that can come in and, uh, and really do some significant harm. Uh, so that's kind of what's, uh, what's right out in front of us. And, and then the rest of it is, uh, I mean, there's a lot of chop wood, carry water fellas. Uh-huh. I mean, there's an awful lot. It, it, it the same things keep happening over and over again as we expand. And we don't mind, uh, helping with each of those things because every time that we answer some of the same questions or, uh, uh, have some of the same Zoom calls, um, that's a good thing because that means there's a whole new group of men that uh, found F3 on their doorstep and they're uh, they're just, an, just F3 curious enough to, to get busy uh, asking their friends to join. So that's that's a good thing. Yep. Yeah, awesome.
1: Yeah, well, Dial-Up, do you have any questions for me before I pose the final question?
0: I can't think of anything. I think I got everything out that I wanted to ask as we went.
1: All right, not that you haven't done this already uh, through everything that you've said uh, as far as speaking to the men of America, but the last question I usually ask... Icing guests, on the cake here. Yeah, icing on the cake. Uh, this is a chance to speak to the men of America. What's your, what's your message for the men of America?
2: Be careful not to compare your insides to somebody else's outsides. Um, that's probably one of the most dangerous things a man can do. Uh, the greatest gift that I've ever been given uh, through F3 is the ability to have people in my life that are willing to tell me the truth mm-hmm. about myself. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's unbelievably important, but this mental health question um, leads, you know, there, there's lots of, of degrees of what that looks like. And I think at the core of it is uh, give, making sure men have the confidence to uh, be wherever they are in their life, um, without feeling uh, shameful or remorseful about what that is. And like I said, when you start comparing your insides to other people's outsides, it becomes dangerous because then you don't really know what you're looking at. And you certainly don't know what another man might be going through. Um, and then it makes you feel a little bit bad about uh, maybe where you're at in your own life. So um, wherever you are in your journey, whether it's day one or you've been in F3 for 10 years, uh, be comfortable with, with where you are. Um, uh, be be okay with a little bit of imperfection and uh, be looking out for the guy that uh, <laughs> that might be at the back of the pack looking a little bit scared because every single one of us have been there yeah uh, and that's an important place to be because that's where it starts yeah, great message
1: so yeah in your bio you sent me you said that your story is one of redemption I think uh, I think uh, that's true for should be true for all of us. Okay um, you know, as a Christian we put our faith in Jesus Christ and it's, it's all about redemption. Cause we, we, we all, we're all messed up and we all, we all need, uh, we need that kind of grace, uh, that comes from God. So thank you for being our guest today. Thanks for joining us, man. You must have an amazing wife. Let you travel as much as you do. And then spend like an hour and a half talking to us, two knuckleheads. Uh, it's so like thank her for us.
2: I, uh, I do have an amazing wife. Yes. Yeah, she is, uh, she is very supportive and, uh, very patient. And, uh, we're gonna go watch the last episode of Ozark together here shortly. That's uh, <laughs> oh, that'll be okay. the end of my evening. It'll be awesome.
1: Yeah, I saw it. I won't tell you how it ends.
2: <laughs> okay, thank you.
1: <laughs> All right, man, appreciate it. God bless
2: you. Yeah, thanks, guys. I enjoyed it, and thanks a lot for what you're doing for uh, the men and for F3 Nation, and uh, and keep going, man. I I support it. This is good stuff. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you
0: thank you for listening to this week's episode i would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high impact man more information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com if you like this podcast please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com that is h-i-m at highimpactman.com the high impact man podcast has a new episode every week and you can find them on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week everyone.